It is good to be here with you. Uh, thank you for allowing this Californian to be a part of this community. I am looking out as we're coming out of this pandemic. I am, I am seeing one person with a mask in this room, which is like, wow. Because uh, that doesn't happen yet in Los Angeles, particularly at my church community, where it'd still be at least 75, 80% masked. Um, so it is great to be here and to feel like a rebel here in the Lone Star State with you. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm part of the insurrection. This is great. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And the, the pandemic, uh, yeah. Um, and thanks for inviting me. It's great to be in a room full of folks who want to church plant. And as Matt mentioned, we are part of a church plant in Boston. Um, also uh, attempted a house church network plant in Los Angeles. Um, and that also, that closed uh, a while ago after three years. So I've been a part of both the quote unquote successes and failures. I, and I put those in quotes because I, I think sometimes for us as, as chapter planters, there could be ways that we could be looking at the metrics, we could be looking at the numbers, we can be looking at other communities and seeing how they're doing. And uh, I think well, earlier when we were doing these plants, those things were in our heads. I do find that as I'm in my, for I'm in my 40s now, so I used to say I don't look at my age, I do look my age now. Thank you, children. Uh, they kind of, my, my kids, they, that's what's done it to me. But now that I'm in my 40s, I think about it, um, I, I'm finding it more and more important not to just seek the fruits of the kingdom, but the king himself. That uh, sometimes I just wanted that kingdom part. I wanted that part rather than obeying what the king had for me. Um, and that's something I'm still learning. I'm still, I'm in the process of learning. How do I just remain obedient no matter what it looks like around me? And that is a tricky call. And I imagine that would be a tricky call for us for those of you who are in the midst, you're church planting. That is not easy work. And you're doing it in a really difficult time. I mentioned the pandemic. We're all starting to climb out of it. When we started the pandemic, did any of you realize that you would shift from leading communities to multimedia conglomerates that are producing videos of learning technology and trying to adjust to this new reality? And how hard that's been for a lot of our communities. I, my home church community um, is a hundred and, uh, it's 105, 106-year-old church. Mo we have a, mostly of older people, actually. We have a special parking lot for people who are over 80 for our community, right? So it's a, it's, it's, and, there, and COVID really had a, a huge impact on our church community. Um, just looking back, we were remembering everyone who passed away in the past year, and it's been about 22 people who passed away in our church community. That's, um, that's pretty big. And that's a sense where you're getting that almost every week or every, almost every other week, you're hearing about someone who's passed away that's part of the community. That's a pretty intense kind of time, if you can imagine. So there are those realities that happen among us. There's the war in Ukraine. That for some of us, we carry that. That just feels like, whoa, almost like the fight of good and evil of our time in these days. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then you just zero down to like our church communities and all the things that we hope and dream about and what we want to see happen there. We want to see God move in power. We want to see the kingdom come in our midst. And we get glimpses of it. But we got to admit, there, there's some things about it that get really hard. And at a time like this, those are the things where we wonder, like, Lord, where are you in this? Am I still called to this? Is this the thing that I'm supposed to do? 
Sometimes it hits in our families in the ways that I long for my second born and my third born to get along. I just want them to be friends. No, no, no. Actually, what I want right now is just not for them to like go at each other's throats every day. I want them to love each other into adulthood and be thankful that the Lord put them in each other's lives when they're adults. Right now, uh, that's going to require a great move of the Lord. I'm just looking around, and there's so much of it going around that feels so out of my control. I, and in that, that sense, there's a huge temptation of me wanting to fix it or control it or escape it. But there's a lot that's going on, and I would just imagine a lot of us that are gathered here in this community might be feeling a lot of that, that we, we yearn and we long for some sort of breakthrough. Uh, what would that look like? And how would that be? And how does that connect to what we're going to talk about today? Well, it is important, and I don't have access to my slides, so I'm just trusting in the spirit that there will be an advancement of slides. And if not, there we go. Oh, okay. Um, in that, uh, this idea of breakthrough, this dynamic of breakthrough is a key part of, of revivals. And that's part of what I've been asked to talk about today. As, as someone who's trying to be a better student of revivals and trying to get a sense of it, it's very ironic that I'm here teaching uh, about revival to you because I grew up hating that word. I did not like the word revival. It was something that was bandied about in my church community, a Korean-American immigrant church. And if you're in any Korean church for any kind of period of time, uh, particularly with the immigrant generation, anything that didn't happen on Sunday was a revival meeting, right? Like, oh, this guest speaker's coming. It's a revival meeting. If we go out to a retreat, that's a revival retreat. So everything felt like they were kept trying to, you know, if you talk about it that much, but you're not seeing the marks or the fruits of revival among you, you just feel like you're getting played. Like someone's manipulating me, trying to get me all excited about something that's not happening. Why do you keep talking about this? So I hated it so much that my first ever talk outside of my ministry, external talk, was for about 13 states along the Rocky Mountains. We were, like, ironically, under a big giant tent <laughs> under the stars with all these students from all these states. And I went out of my way to teach why revival, you should not seek revival. That was the whole point of the talk. Because the king's already here. Be faithful. <laughs> right? That was the talk. And so you, it is very ironic that I'm here talking about revival, but I have been having a change of heart. And I'm sensing God uh, in my heart, in our community, within a varsity, but also even as I'm kind of around uh, other church communities, that this talk, particularly before pandemic, but seems to be growing now, again, the sense that people are longing for breakthrough, and particularly a time when everything feels out of control in a culture that just seems to be at each other's throats, depending on where you are politically or where you are uh, on different theological issues, there might be ways that we're just longing and praying for breakthrough. And that's, in some sense, a sense we want God to bring revival again. Uh, revival, global revivals in the 20th century by uh, Mark Shaw, as he's looking at the 20th century of the Christian faith, said that global revivals are at the heart of the global resurgence in Christianity. And what he's trying to say is that this is a big way that God seems to move. There doesn't seem to be this steady state growth kind of thing, like 5% year-over-year projections, where God's church just grows at this steady line. 
Um, it does seem to be, as you look through history, not just the 20th century, that there seems to be seasons of breakthrough that move and press and sort of does a new movement of things. And then there seems to be a retreat of things, that there seems to be a press again, an ebb and a flow, a high tide and a low tide, that there's this seasonality to these moves of God, depending on where you are, whether it's, it's a move forward or the dark ages, right? And this is just this sense where that's happening. And that, so in, instead of just going like, oh, well, it's not continuous. It's not this thing that happens all the time. Instead of just dismissing revival outright because it has these ebbs and flows, could there be a way to embrace that revivals are the way God seems to be moving. And when the seasons come to ride that season with God, and when the seasons seem to ebb away to prepare ourselves again for the next move of God. And that's what we're trying to unpack and see like, what, what could we do to prepare to experience or to lead revival if it were to come. So on the next slide, uh, we wanted to have a, a definition of revival that really was revival for the rest of us, something that speaks to each one of us. And I'm not going to go through each line in detail, um, but I, I do want to mention that it is a season of breakthroughs. So it's not just one event or one meeting where you have a guest speaker, but a sense where there's this sense of breakthroughs that are happening to the point that it ushers in a new normal, a new expectancy in your community, that God is breaking through enough that you just get a sense like, oh, God could do that? And you start to hope and pray into that. If you're in a community that doesn't see many people become followers of Jesus, but all of a sudden you start to have a season where one, two, this family, they start to, to get to know Jesus, they're baptized in your community, they're sharing their story, that starts to create a higher level of expectancy. And imagine then, now it's not just one or two people, but like 30, 50 people uh, in a given month. Once you start hitting that, it creates enough expectancy that if you dropped back down to like two or three people a month, there'd be a little bit of like, oh, but Lord, we've seen you do this before. It raises a level of expectancy. And that's what that new normal is about. Uh, if we were at the breakout this morning, we sort of unpacked the quality of that revival, that it was, in a sense, had aspects of word, deed, and power, and how those work together. As Paul talked about that being the gospel fully proclaimed in Romans 15, that it came in word, and in deed, and in power. Um, and I'm going to talk about this first line a little bit, and then jump in, back into the season of breakthrough, is that it's of kingdom experience and fruitfulness, that there's an internal experience of revival, as well as an outward manifestation of revival. And we held those together. We debated this for a long time. Is it like, isn't revival like these mass movements? Don't they have to have like stadiums filled with people coming to Jesus? Don't we have to like have these marks that are happening in these wider scales? Uh, or, you know, and the stuff in the heart then, does that matter? And we're trying to figure out what, how that plays out. But I'm going to say something super obvious to you. You're going to be like, I can't believe they let you write this kind of stuff. But... No revival in history happened without revived people. And since no revival in history happened without revived people, then what happens in the heart is crucial. Because what God does in us, if he revives people on the inside, that's actually what sparks revival in these wider ways. It always, revivals always start small. And we just have to remember that. There's always been a rumbling. By the time it gets to that big explosion, something's happened before. Whether it's Jesus just gathering a group of 12 before the revivals of Acts, 
But you just look through history, all revivals start small, and so small that they often start in the heart. And we just couldn't ignore the fact that all revivals happen with a thrived people. Do the Great Awakenings happen if John Wesley wasn't hanging out with the Moravians, and then he gets to this point where he's at Aldersgate, and he finds his heart strangely warmed? He's revived first. Then he grabs a crew. Right? And that crew, they're praying until 3 in the morning, and the Holy Spirit falls on the 30 or so that are gathered together. And you get the beginnings of the Methodist movement. There have been traces before, hanging out with the Wesleyans, the Oxford Club, there's other things. But he has a, a moment where all that builds up to a personal renewal, a personal revival. And then that explodes into the part of the, one part of this bigger thing called the Great Awakenings. It always happens small, always happens in the heart. And why I'm bringing that up for us for this time in the afternoon or in the morning is I want to ask what breakthrough does God need to do in us? As church planters, you, you take the hits. There's a lot going on. You don't have a lot of the safety nets that some of the other folks, particularly in Houston, might have. And there might be some places where you yourself are feeling the the pull of it, the inexorable gravity of all the stuff that you're carrying, then some of us need a breakthrough, not only in our communities, but in our hearts. And so my question is, what breakthrough do you seek? What breakthrough do you seek? I want to use uh, judges to, to frame our time. I think if that's coming up. Yes, the next slide. Yeah, Judges. Judges chapter 6. And this concept of breakthrough shows up a lot in the scriptures. Uh, and there's different ways and different places where the sense of like, oh, Lord, won't you come? The book of Judges is full of these times of, God, won't you come? Or actually, the people going bad, and then a sense of repentance and asking God to come. And then this movement that's happening. The book of Judges is full of it. I love, I just recently heard a teaching on Acts chapter 1 and 2 where uh, that was also a place of breakthrough. Their rabbi was, had died and then had risen again, but Jerusalem represented the place where the movement came to a screeching halt. Right? Jerusalem was a place where they got there, they were, worried, they were a bit worried about what would happen there, and when they got there, their rabbi was killed, the movement ceased, all the crowds, that was done. Jerusalem represented their failure. And yet, the call of God on their lives is to sit in that failure, to wait there in Jerusalem and wait for breakthrough, to wait for power to come on high. And breakthrough came. And revival happened through the book of Acts, not just because of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, but because of Acts chapter 3 too. 3 as well, where there was a healing. And Acts chapter 4, and the ways that the community was moving. In Acts chapter 5, there's a discipline in the church. Acts chapter 6, where they reorganized to address some of the needs in the church community. And you can see as these things are playing itself out, that it was a season of breakthrough, that, revi that revival came. But I want to come back to Judges. And I, I hope that there's a personal word here for us. And it's this. Uh, we're about to be introduced to Gideon, and we're going to learn a lot about him. This is going to be hopefully fun and helpful. Is that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where the son, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Um, and so I just wanted to set up the beginning here, where he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Um, I'm a city kid. 
you know, Seattle, Boston, LA, so I don't know farms at all. Any farmers out here? Okay, <laughs> not you either. Okay, well, um, the, the, this, that last line would have jumped out in agrarian culture, right? That he's threshing wheat in a wine press, because you don't do that. Uh, here's a picture of a threshing floor. Wide, open, expansive. What you're supposed to do at, when you're threshing wheat is you gather your wheat, you cut it, you get it into some basket, and then what you're doing is you're using a, like a pistol or some other, um, other kinds of things to smash the wheat so that the husks would fall off, and then you throw it up into the air so that when the wind comes in this open space, it carries away the chaff, and what you're left with is the stuff that you could pound into bread to make into bread or other kinds of foodstuffs. So, you need a wide open space where the wind's gonna flow. That's where you put threshing floors, in these open spaces. But instead, he's doing it in a wine press, and that's the next slide. It's just a pit. And back then, they probably put something under there, uh, some sort of skin to, ca to catch the, the, some sort of thing to catch these, and usually their feet or other ways to crush the grapes, put it into a, uh, a, 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 what's that, a wine bag. It's not called a wine bag. Wine skin, thank you. Put it in a wine skin so that it would ferment and become wine. Uh, it's deep. It's in a hole. He's down there. There's no way wind is going to come across this, uh, this wine press, right? So why is he down there doing it then? If you can imagine him just sitting there, throwing up the husks, it's coming right back down, right? Throwing up the husks, it's coming right back down. Just that sense of futility, like week in, week out. Like, I don't know if you sense anything like that in your work, that week in, week out grind, hoping something's going to happen. Um, and he's just doing that, and he's in the wine press. It's an exercise of futility for him to be doing that. Why is he doing that? Because earlier we find that the Midianites are there and they're terrorizing the Israelites. Anytime they see food or any times that there's ways to get something from them, they come down and raid it so that a lot of the Israelites are hanging out in caves or threshing wheat in a wine press. It's in their fear and in the external environment that they're just sitting there and doing these exercises of futility. And that's where we find Gideon. He's in need of a breakthrough. That's the next slide is what breakthrough do you seek? Uh, maybe you can empathize or connect with a sense of futility, that sense like, I feel like I've been threshing wheat in a wine press. I feel like I'm going through these things. And my coach, Matt keeps coaching me to keep doing these things. And it's not happening the way I hoped it would happen. There's these ways that we might sit there and we're constantly in a place where it feels like futility, sometimes to the point where some of us might, in the room might be questioning our call or questioning like, is this what I'm supposed to do? This happens in a time like this. Some of you might just be in a place where you're older and you're just asking the questions. Like, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm called to? My life, my ministry, it doesn't look the way I thought it would look. And some of us who are older still, like, ah, you know, I might have peaked like 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> Lord, right? There's that sense where it's like, we're, what? it's not working. Something about that feels off. And it doesn't have to be just those communities. I've mentioned my family where I'm just like, Lord, why don't you just break through with my kids? Would you break 
through. There's something where there's a yearning. And we've tried everything, right? Like in my situation, we've tried counseling. We've tried prayer. We've tried a lot of things. And it's still not turning out the way we want it to turn out. Right? And you might be, have tried a lot of different things, a lot of different strategies. You've, you've got the handbook, perhaps. There may be, there's something you're doing and you're trying to see it happen, but it's not happening. So what breakthrough do you seek? On the next slide, uh, I want to flesh out more that dynamic of breakthrough. Because the way I talk about it, it might just seem like, well, just pray about it. And then God goes, boom. Right? and answers your prayer. And even the way I frame the, t the conversation, it could be like, well, what breakthrough do you seek? Well, just keep asking God for the breakthrough and it will come, right? Like I'm promising you like churches that are like 10,000 strong and all these different kinds of things, right? Like, uh, yeah, that's right. That's, anyway, I won't make a joke about that. You go to other churches and other church communities for that. That's not what this is about. The, the dynamic of breakthrough is so much richer than that. And it, we feel like we see it playing out in this curve. And in the first stage of this breakthrough is holy discontent. Uh, you can't even yearn for breakthrough if you're not discontent about it. Right? Some folks are just comfortable enough. This is the way life is. Oh, well. But it's when God stirs in you a discontent for something like, this isn't the way it should be. This isn't the way I'm, I'm supposed to do this. There's a holy discontent that comes. And I do think it's an important stage because a lot of people who are Christian want to push the content, discontent away, right? I'm called to be content, right? I'm called to be full. So I don't, wanna, I don't want this feeling of discontent to creep up into my life. Uh, it almost can feel faithless to have discontent. But the encouragement that we're bringing is if it's holy discontent, embrace it if it's a set-apart discontent. And you know the difference when it's, it's not, it's, it moves from just complaining to a place of like, oh, you started to get a picture of what it could be. It's not there yet, so now that's what's causing the holy discontent, but you're yearning, there's something in you. A lot of you are starting churches because you've had a discontent of what the church was supposed to be like. You wanna see something more, holy discontent. And it starts there, embrace it, because it's in that desire that pushes you forward. There's an energy to that discontent. And as long as it's sanctified discontent and not grumbling <laughs> and creating division, there's a way that that can help energize and fuel where you're going to go next. And then you get to stage two. And stage two is where you have untested faith. So this is the place where you get the big vision and then you get a bit of excitement for it. Like, oh, this could really happen. This could really happen. And so then you get jazzed about it. You start calling your friends. Let's pray about it. And there's an initial excitement about that. And the rest of us, the veterans, are all just crossing our, you know, crossing our arms and shaking our heads and going, he'll learn. You know, she'll learn. Let's give it five years. Let's see where it goes, right? Um, now, and that's the thing, the temptation, again, here, is to just say, like, this isn't, this isn't good. You're so naive. Oh, oh, millennial, you know, I, Gen Z person, stop dreaming about church, you know. We just, this is the way it is, and there's ways that we can poo-poo that. And uh, the metaphor we have is, you're like the person at the back of a wedding reception, right? at the back of a wedding, perhaps, a ceremony even, and you're just sitting there like... They have no idea what they're getting into. 
you know, you've been married for 30 years and you're like, they have no idea. Is it right for you to be in the back and just crossing your arms, shaking your head at these vows that they're about to share, right? Like, no, you're supposed to sit, you're, you're called to encourage and bless and be thankful for this beginning. Sure, it's going to be hard, but something good is happening here. And if you're sourpuss at the reception, come on, don't go. <laughs> just kidding. But, right, there's something about that. We actually, those of us who are older need to keep blessing those who are coming up under us and just saying, sure, it's untested. We're here to help. We know we're going to be, you can count on us when things get tough. But right now, we're here with you. And as revival leaders, when you see people get those first flushes of revival or that sense that God's on the move, I don't know about you, especially those of us who are Generation X, right? We're like the best BS detectors on the planet. We hear like these young 18, 19 year olds going like, God's gonna like bring revival to Houston. And you're like, okay, I've heard that one before, right? That's an easy way that you might just wanna throw that aside. No, this is a glorious good thing. It is a gift from the Lord to have this kind of innocent vision, an untested faith, sure, but it's still faith. And to encourage it, because stage three is coming, <laughs> and that's crucified hope. That's when you start seeing, oh, it's not working out the way I thought it would. You're starting to see the first flush of that. Right? You're, there's people on your core team that are starting to go like, maybe I wasn't called to be a part of this core team. You, know? <laughs> you don't know anything about that, right? Uh, there, there's these places where you start to have those questions. It's not turning out the way, oh, the kinds of people that are coming, ah, oh, we were hoping to reach the community. They're actually looking more like me. Oh. And there's ways that this is playing itself out. Uh, and you're starting to see how the hopes that you have, they're really starting to die they're starting to get crucified. Um, and that's the beginning. The discouragement starts to set in here. And then it finds fever pitch in stage four, which is a crisis of faith. You get enough discouragement, there's enough hopes that find itself on the cross that you get to this bottom point and you're wondering whether this thing's worth it at all. Where you're wondering, is this the call for me? I don't know. You're wondering, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You don't know. And in three, it's still easy to persevere. It's hard. There's some things that are going poorly, but you, you still know you're supposed to be doing this. There's a, a sense of perseverance and you press through. But in four, all of that goes up and goes into question. You're not sure whether God is in this or not. You're not sure whether this is there or not. You're, you're wondering whether you can keep going on. That's a crisis of faith. And if you stay in this crisis of faith, you fall into the... <laughs> What we call, we had a different name for it, but we just like the Princess Bride nod here, like the loop of despair. And that's, you find yourself in a loop of despair. And you can find yourself there for a while. It, in some places, if you don't come out of this, you can stay down there in that crisis of faith for a while. And that, that can also, right, as you stay there, it just, it keeps you from taking perhaps the risk or the next step. You're just stuck. It's a failure that drives you. Maybe you prayed for someone for healing and you were just testing things out and it didn't work out. And so you're like, I'm never gonna pray for healing again. Or something like you've done something and you get to that point where it, it, you know you're in that loop of despair when you say, I'll never do that again. And you're just in that cycle again and again and again. And you find yourself just stuck. You don't like, you can't see the light of day when you're down here. The crisis of faith, however, 
we believe is the most important part of this curve. Because what God is doing here is crucifying our hope. Anything that was a hope that wasn't meant to be a hope. The places where you might have some standards that you were trying to meet or something that was there. And God was saying, I never asked you to do that. And there's a pulling away of all your expectations. To the point when you get to stage four, what, what God is trying to get you to do is to kill your expectations so that you can raise expectancy. To kill your expectations so that you can raise expectancy. Your expectations are things that you go like, God has to do these things to let me know he is in this work with me. Expectancy says, I don't know how you're going to move, God, but I trust you and I'm going to keep following. Expectations say like, God, you've got to show up in these particular ways. And if you don't, you're no longer good to me. Expectancy says, God, I know you're always good, that you're making everything right in the end. You will make everything right in your name. So I'm going to keep following what you have. Expectations kills the fact that your church might not be 1,000 people, might not be 2,000 people. Expectancy says, I'm here to obey what you have for me. I trust that you're going to do whatever good you want to do out of this church that you've called me to. You see what's happening? We're getting out of the game of dictating to God how he has to show up for us to be good in order to put ourselves in a place to truly understand what good is like in our lives to fully embrace him. And you need to go to the crisis of faith to get there. Because until we get there, we're still hanging on to our own dreams. But when we finally crucify our dreams fully, then something can truly be resurrected. Isn't that what revival is? It's the reviving of things that have gone cold and make it hot again. It's the things that have gone dead and brought to life. It's the old bones that come back into an army. That's what revival is. It's bringing back the things that were of old. It's bringing back what should be and putting it in a new context. It is the new thing from the old ashes. And that's what the Christian gospel is allowing us to live out in the middle of this crisis of faith. It's telling us that whatever we put to death in his name will be resurrected in his name. And it won't look like the thing we want. It might have scars. It'll be different. The resurrected thing that comes out might not look like the old thing, but it's the right thing. It's the thing that's meant to be. And when you're here in the crisis of faith, that is the work. How do I kill my expectations so that experience Expectancy instead can rise, and it could be whatever God wants to do. And at that point, you're ready to be used by God 100%. Now, that's not one time. You're going to have lots of curves. You're going to have lots of breakthrough moments. So I'm not trying to say it's the one time and the only time, but in that particular place that you're seeking breakthrough, how is God asking you to kill your expectations, to raise expectancy? Then, if you come out of the crisis of faith and you come out of it by letting go, that is the whole move. It's like, God, you don't have to show up this way. And that is so hard to do. But you go, you don't have to show up this way. Lord, how do you want to show up? Then you start to let that go, then you're in stage five. Revived hope. And it's revived hope. It's, not, it's, it's on the other side of it. It's, it's, it's much more sober in stage five than in stage three. 
There's a, there's, a, there's a quality here that feels more centered. It feels a lot more like, okay, you're trying to do this in a way where the yoke is easy and the burden is light because you don't know how it's going to work out. You are letting his yoke be upon you as you go along. Your, your hope is being revived. It's, and this is a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a sweet, it's a bittersweet feeling because you know what you've had to let go to get here, but it's much more rooted. It's much more grounded. It's a hope that's based, that's gone through the trial and so worth so much more. And then when you get to stage six, if it continues on, it increases your faith. It increases expectancy. And that's what we call breakthrough faith. It's at a higher level than where you were before with an untested faith. It's a breakthrough faith, one that's grounded. And funny thing is, when you get to stage two, sometimes you're like, oh, God's already on the move, man, he's with us. There's a way that you could declare before. It's, it's like declaring the war won before it's actually won kind of vibe. We haven't seen that at all these days. Um, but there's, when you get to six, sometimes you don't actually know the victories when you get there. You actually get there, and sometimes you can get there and miss the miracle. Because you've been in the grind, and you're sort of going through it. And it takes other people to let you know, like, do you remember where you were last year? Do you remember how you were feeling? Like, man, you are in a new place. You're in a different place. I just sense that God is moving through you. That you have other people telling you and showing you how you've got here. Because when you get to six, you are so much more sober about it. Sometimes it's hard for you to see the miracle. Or there's still other things going on. But, and that's where you need your community to keep reminding you, yeah, actually, you're in a different place. This is a good space. And this dynamic plays itself out. As you write it down on your sheet, I actually want you to think about, in some ways, like, where are the ways that, where are you on this curve in your breakthrough? Where do you find yourself? Because then, as you're locating yourself, if you're heading down the slope, or maybe you're down at four, to trust that this is actually the way God brings revival. This is how God revives us. And it's in the scriptures all the time. It isn't just the stories where people are doing well and then God blesses them. There are some of them. But those feel so much less like breakthrough, right? They're, they're not the, the stories that grab us. But when you see the ways that Peter went down into four and the ways that God then revived his hope, not because of his own efforts, but because God's grace, Jesus' grace and forgiveness is so much stronger than his junk. And how that brings him to a place where then he can be crucified upside down for all he cares. It's a different place to be. And how does God bring you through something like that? Where are you seeking breakthrough? Where are you on this curve? Um, I, was, I was trying to figure out what story to tell. And I was like, should I tell a revival story? But actually, um, the story that I, I want to tell you is actually something that's just unfolding in the last two weeks for me. Um, if I'm looking at this curve, the holy discontent was coming. Like, I've been with inner varsity for a long time, 27 years. And I feel like the Lord's given me a gift to teach. But in my role with inner varsity, I don't have a lot of places to teach discontent. And then I found myself going like, oh, maybe there'll be places like, low, like here, where I get to do more teaching, some sort of vision, some way where that would play itself out. And I've been hearing God continue to say, there'll be places like that for you. Untested faith. But as I'm going along, three and four, and what brings me to a crisis of faith is 
where I'm like, I'm just, there's too much rent to pay in my role. I'm in a senior middle management role, senior management role. I have to do a lot of HR work, right? I've got to push a lot of emails. I got to make sure the budgets are right. There's a lot of things in this role that just is 70 to 80% of my time. And I go, ah, is this worth it, Lord? Don't you want me doing something else? Don't you want me to be like a, a teaching pastor at a bigger church, you know? That would be so cool, Lord. Would, you know, there's this way that at 48, it's a different kind of conversation than at 28 for me. You know, so like, no, isn't this like, Lord, the way I'm supposed to be leaving the, the legacy you have for me? Is this what you want to see happen? And I, I think I was down in four for a while. It's just hard to figure out how this work worked out with what I was doing. I was started like, Lord, am I called to this? Like every two months, Lord, am I called to this? Calling up my friends. Yeah, can you help me discern my call to this ministry? I, like, is the Lord calling me to be this vice president thing? And this constant rub that's been there for like two, three years of this itch that's been there. It's been hanging out there. Um, why it feels more recent, and just sitting there, and there'd be moments when I hear like, no, God's calling me to stay, and there'd be moments of consolation, and then the, the constant coming back and forth to it. You know, I, I do feel like, though, I'm starting to come back at five, and it came in a way that I didn't, wasn't able to control, but a friend of mine gave me a word, someone that I've been meeting with every month, and that person gave me a word that spoke volumes to me, and basically said, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to share this. Ah, this word is so tender. Um, uh, it, what the person saw when he was praying for me was a raindrop that was falling in slow motion to the ground. And inside that raindrop was uh, like the sense of a power of a supernova. And when the raindrop hits the ground, which is barren, it turns it into fertile land and becomes moldable. You could do stuff with it that you couldn't do before. Um, we hadn't talked for two months up to this point. He didn't hear my latest thing. But what the person says is like, I think that raindrop is your teaching. And God wants you to know that he's going to use that teaching to make the ground fertile. And, uh, and then that, and then this kind of future opportunity. So that word is given, and then this future opportunity shows up for this kind of bigger thing. Um, and they came together in a way that just felt like, God, thank you. you know me. You know me. You love me. You just want me to kill my dreams, and you want me to submit it to you. And in so doing, Lord, he's just saying, he's going to do this thing. And I still don't know exactly what this will look like. But I know that through tears, it has brought a sense of a revived hope of like, I'm in the right place. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I need to obey the word that I've heard and stay with it and trust that he will unfold it. And every day then, <laughs> this has actually been the mantra of the past three years of like almost every day I'm saying, Lord, before going into another next meeting, would you kill my expectations for this meeting? Would you raise expectancy? And to figure out then, Lord, just to be more open to what God is doing and thus prepare me for a breakthrough and to be a part of revival. And if I have breakthrough, that has a way of, will that ripple around me? Um, and that's the thing. So why is the Lord breaking through with you? My uh, director, I have a, we have a national director of chapter planting. He's undergoing revival in the last six months 
personally. He, and it's just wild to watch as he gets really excited about what God is doing on the campuses we're not yet at. And that has been infectious to our team as it's, he's leading his team through it. And there's ways that that plays itself out where he's calling the people around him to greater expectancy. And what would that look like as we find our breakthrough in our hearts and breakthrough around us? I imagine that would start to change some things around us. And whether the Lord caps that at a personal revival or brings it out into something global, all we know is we're just being faithful. And wherever God, whatever God has for that, that's where faithfulness and revival come together. And it is in that faithfulness where we might be able to see that in our time. Um, so then, the, as, we kind of, as you hear that and you carry that, I, I want to finish off the judges stuff and not answer that call. <laughs> it says in Judges 12, 13, so we actually get the, the heart of the interaction. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, uh, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, can you just imagine the irony of all this stuff right now? He's in a wine press. He's threshing wheat. This is an exercise in futility. Angel comes by, looks, sees what's happening. Probably gets the sense this isn't working out for him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's like, ah, and you'll hear this. And I love how polite Gideon is. It's like a great Papa commercial for those of you old enough to know. Like, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Expectations, right? Uh, the Lord turned to him and said, go on the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Remember, I'm with you, mighty warrior. Aren't I sending you? Uh, and then Gideon's replied, um, pardon me, my Lord, one more time. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Okay, so it's neat. He went from external circumstances and then went internal and go like, you got the wrong guy. Don't you know who I am? I'm part of this half-tribe. Sure, Manasseh was a pretty big half-tribe, but I'm part of this half-tribe. I am in the weakest clan in this half-tribe, and I'm the weakest link in that clan. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Look at all that's happening. Look at all the ways these are. I don't have expectations. My expectations aren't being met outside. And I don't even have that many expectations for myself, frankly. Can we just drop this subject? And we get to the last line. Uh, the Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. Uh, it isn't the promise of the fruits of the kingdom. The promise is the king. So then... Uh, in the next slide, I just want to come back to that, that verse 12 and let this be a jumping part for our prayer uh, time together. Is that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And what he was trying to do is to help rename him, help him see who he was in light of his relationship with God, Yahweh, that you are not defined by being in the half-tribe of Manasseh, by being the weakest clan in the tribe, and by being the weakest member in that clan. You're not defined by those things. Actually, I, God, see you, and I'm with you, and you're a mighty warrior. And I'm hoping and praying as we go into a time of prayer, as we seek breakthrough, 
I'm just wondering if the Lord has a word for us in this area. Uh, does the Lord have a word for us on who we are in him? And does the Lord, does the Lord have a word for us about how, we to, how are we to seek breakthrough together? So let's stand. That's what I, I kind of want to do with us. Um, and what I'm going to lead us through is a time of prayer, but it'll be a little different for those of you who haven't done something like this before. Um, in part, uh, I'm, it's, it's a way to hear from God and a way for us to focus our attention on what God might be saying to us. And I'm going to lead us through a couple things. One is like uh, a more general listening that'll happen at the end. But then second, uh, it's what I'm calling a, a renaming exercise. <laughs> Uh, because of the way that God interacted with Gideon, I'm just wondering if we need a fresh word today for us. And so um, I want to lead us through that. At, at any time, if you feel uncomfortable with what I'm doing, just feel free to like say, hey, peace, thanks, James. I appreciate your teaching. Um, and I'm going to go have lunch, which is okay. I really want to bless you. I don't want to force you into anything. God never forces anybody to do anything. Have you noticed? He only woos. Because love has to do with it doesn't have to do with force or coercion. It's wooing. And so uh, if you feel uncomfortable, feel free to check out. But my encouragement is to stay in it as long as you can. And in so doing, I'm hoping and praying that the Lord will, will speak. So if you don't mind, if you put your hands up in front of you, um, and in, you know, in a Christian spirituality, our bodies and our souls are connected. We're not dualists. And in that way, you're having a posture of reception. And I want to lead you uh, in your mind's eye sort of as prompts to help you hear what God might be saying. So um, if you would close your eyes, that would be helpful. Um, and in your mind's eye, I want you to picture the, the room where your church worships, the community that you lead. I want you to picture the place where you worship together. And I want you to take a seat in that room in your mind's eye. So picture the place where you worship with your community and I want you to take a seat in that room. Great. And as you look around the room, what do you see? What does the room look like? Oh, Father, we invite your presence. And we pray that, would you lead our time? Anything that is from you, Lord, would you allow that to go deep into our hearts to bear much fruit? And anything that's not from you, you would just not let the gray matter between our ears receive it so that only your word would remain. God, would you protect and guide our time? And would you speak to your servants? We're listening. Okay. So yeah, um, you're back in that room where your community worships. You're sitting there. You're, you've taken a look. Um, how do you feel being in that room right now? What feelings are coming up for you as you sit? Yep, as you're sitting there, um, you hear the door open behind you and uh, Jesus walks into the room. Uh, you turn around to look at him. What does Jesus look like? What's he wearing? He comes into the room and he comes to where you are and he greets you. 
How does he greet you? After the greeting, Jesus pulls back and he points at something on your forehead. And it's the first time you notice, yeah, there's something there. And what's written on your forehead is a name that you carry or something that sort of represents you. I would say like a name that you carry that you know isn't from God. Sort of a, a name that's there that you hold. What is that name? What is that name? And in this room, and I'm hoping it's a safe enough room to do this, um, would you mind sort of openly confessing what that name is? So just one at a time to share what name you're sensing on your forehead as a, as a confession in a community and trusting. We're going to hold this together. But what name is there? Would you just one at a time say it out loud? Yeah. And yeah. And I think at this point, the first name, the name that he points, the name that doesn't represent God in any way, a name that you're carrying that isn't the name. Unworthy. Unworthy. Mm -hmm. Messed up. Afraid. Afraid. Inferior. Inferior. Mm -hmm. Flawed. Flawed. Inadequate. Mm -hmm. Failure. Failure. Tired. Again? Tired. Tired. Yeah. Yeah. Distracted. Distracted. Yep. And Lord, you see both names said and unsaid. So, Lord, so what happens now is Jesus points at that. He's looking at it. And then what he does is, it's crazy. He kind of comes across your forehead and starts to rub that name out. You notice this as he's doing that, that there's something wet that's happening as he's doing that. It, it's, it's, you get, oh, Jesus is bleeding. And he's using that to wipe the name off. And as he sort of wipes it off, and then he uses his robe just to get your forehead completely clean, he writes a new name there with his finger. It's not seen by anybody fully, but you know what he's writing. And he writes a new name on your forehead. What name does he write for you? And again, as a way of praying and asking God to help us receive our identity, would you say it one at a time again? What is the new name that God is giving you? Enough. Enough. That's good. Mine. Sorry? Mine. Mine. Uh huh. You're loved. You're loved. Yeah. Chosen. Chosen. Yes. Faithful. Faithful. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Son. Son. Leader. Mm hmm. Free. Free. Yes. 
Yes, Lord. How would you take those names, Lord, both said and unsaid? Seal them on our hearts. Seal them on our hearts, Lord. Help us to receive that name, Lord. And so now Jesus, after that, kind of looks at you again. And you can tell by the look in his eyes that he loves you so much. And then he leans in close to you and, and says something to you that he's been wanting to say to you for a while. What does Jesus say? Thank you for sharing, but you could keep those words to, to you. Keep you. <laughs> you muted. Uh, praise the Lord. Yep. What is the word that the Lord's sharing with you? Just ignore. Okay. We'll give it a little bit more time. Father, we praise you. You are, by your hand, the worlds and the universe was created. You have power to make all things new. And yet you are also the guy that comes close and knows the number of hairs on our head and wants to speak to us and, and be with us. That we thank you, Lord, that you are so big and yet so close. And we can't really even fathom all the mystery of that. But Lord, thank you for the ways that you spoke. Thank you for the ways that you're showing yourself to us. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So then have a seat. This is really the important part, actually, now, is I want you to get into pairs, if you can, and share what you heard. There's something in the sharing that's really important. And I want you sort of... Yeah, we're still on time, so we're good. Go ahead and, and share. And as you're sharing, what I want the other person to do, trusting the room, and that the spirit is within us, for you to affirm it, to go like, yeah, that sounds like God. Or for you to go like, I'm not sure if that's the Lord. <laughs> and to be honest with each other about that, because I think that could be helpful. Uh, I really think there's ways that you go like, that didn't either, it didn't help. Uh, all prophecy, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, that all prophecy is given for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Right? And then there's other where the fruit of the Spirit, does it reflect love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control or not? So you have some ways of, of working this out. Like, yeah, if you, they're hearing something that's clearly not biblical, you guys are all leaders and pastors. Go ahead and correct them, okay? Knowing you're not, anyway, I won't go there. Um, go ahead and break them in a parish. If you feel comfortable, share what you heard. If you don't or you didn't hear anything, that's okay too. Like, we're not forcing God to do anything here. Um, and God loves you, whether you heard something or not. So that's not the point. It's just we're putting ourselves in a place to hear what God might have to say if he wants to. But I want you to share in groups, and then I'll, I'll bring you back together uh, to, to close our time. So, pairs. And thank you for giving this a shot. I don't know if this is normal HCPN <laughs> ways, but thank you for doing this.
Um, what I want to ask you, this is, it's an important thing to debrief. It is an important thing to talk together. The locus of discernment, as we're hearing from the Lord together, is in scripture and in community. And it is through community that we do get to learn uh, in some ways what is God saying and to help each other with that. Okay, so by a show of hands, if you heard something meaningful from Jesus in this time, would you raise your hand? Uh, something, you heard something meaningful from Jesus? So by a show of hands, uh, did you hear something meaningful from Jesus in this moment? Okay, that's most of us. That's great. And that, praise God for that. If you didn't hear something or you didn't catch something meaningful yet, again, the encouragement there is in community, continue to, to check. Some of you are like, I'm not sure that's from the Lord. That's why the community is very helpful to, to help you through with that and to do that. And whether that's here in this network or another community, um, continue to seek the Lord. In the, I just hope that as we pray, that we just take as much time to listen as we pray in some ways, right? To hear what God might be saying to us. Um, but this, this is great. And my hope is that as you think through what breakthrough you seek in your life, wherever you are on the curve, that you continue to kill expectations and raise expectancy so that the rewards of your faithfulness isn't just the kingdom, but the king himself. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll send you off. Um, Lord, it's, it's, it's been a deep blessing to be here. And so uh, I don't, these are brothers and sisters who are in the trenches and wanting to see your kingdom come in communities and neighborhoods and all those things. And so um, I pray blessing upon them. May the peace of the Lord Jesus be with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. And all God's people say, amen.